0: the Lord, for Thy great plan That we Thy dwelling place
1: may be Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry at the end of the program. We'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now we hope you enjoyed today's program. The Tabernacle is a marvelous, vivid picture of the deepest experiences of Christ by his loving believers. The time spent to see the meaning and significance of its aspects and details is well worthwhile and will be richly rewarded by a deeper love and appreciation for Christ and His incomparable Word. And joining us today for fellowship on a wonderful section is Ron Kengis. Welcome back to our program, Ron. We've missed you. Uh,
2: I'm happy to be back and I'm happy to participate in fellowship on this very profound and wonderful section. It's conceptually and experientially deep but we trust in the Lord's grace and in the Spirit's enlightening to give us some basic spiritual understanding of what's here. It's just incredibly wonderful.
1: Well, today, Ron, we're going to consider the veil that was located within the tabernacle as a separation between the two chambers, the holy place and the holy of holies. I think this aspect of the tabernacle is really quite mysterious to most people. Both chambers contained items that clearly represent Christ and our experience of Christ. We don't want to give away the message just yet, but at least say a little something in a way of introduction regarding the characteristics of these two compartments or chambers in the tabernacle.
2: Let's begin on a very basic level and point out that in the holy place there were three items of furniture all signifying Christ. There was the table of the showbread, that had the bread of the presence. Then there was the lampstand made of pure gold. Then there was the incense altar. And all of these point to Christ and indicate something of Christ for our experience and enjoyment. In the Holy of Holies, there was only one item of furniture, and that was the Ark of the Covenant containing... The two tables of the law as God's testimony, a golden pot in which was placed manna as a memorial, and Aaron's budding rod. One crucial difference between the holy place and the holy of holies is that the glory of God actually filled the holy of holies. And so when the high priest entered into the holy of holies, he was directly In the Shekinah glory of God and could have a direct experience of God as we'll see the experience of God in Christ in the holy place is somewhat indirect due to the fact of the separating veil and the veil is the object of the ministry of this program and our commentary.
1: That's what we're going to take a look at just now. Let's join Witness Lee as we begin to talk about this veil of separation.
0: Let me uh, present to you a simple picture. If you look at the situation of the entire tabernacle, it's standing there just like a little tent. According to the record of Exodus 26, you do have a curtain the same as the ceiling. And the ceiling is made of fine twined linen in the color of blue, purple, scarlet, and also with embroideries of cherry bead. This wheel is exactly the same, made of linen, fine linen, twined blue, purple, scarlet, and with embroidery work of the cherry bead. It's exactly the same. When you get in, you look above or you look beside, you see the same thing. That's wonderful. But the uh, difficult point for us to apprehend is why there is such a need to have such a will to separate the tent into two rooms. When you come in, To the tabernacle, you go to the bread table for nourishment. After being nourished, you come to the lampstand to uh, trim it and to add oil to it to make it more shining. Then you yourself get more light. Then from the lampstand, you go to incense altar to offer your incense. Both the incense altar and the incense are types of Christ. Through Christ, with Christ as the sweet fragrance to God, you can enter into the Holy of Holies. And here is the very place where God stays. And where God meets with you, and where God speaks to you, and where God fellowships with you, God, his category is right here.
1: Ron, this is uh, quite intriguing. We began this segment with a question that was posed by our brother. Why is there a veil separating the holy place and the holy of holies? Let's hold on to the suspense for just a bit longer and maybe contemplate the question for a while. The experiences in the holy place, we pointed out before, they are genuine, real experiences of Christ. It does seem mysterious, Ron, that in that place, experiencing the nourishing and shining of Christ, we still would be separated from God.
2: It may seem mysterious, but it's a fact. We may... Receive and experience and enjoy something of Christ, something from Christ, without having direct, personal, intimate contact with Christ. A parent may do something or give something or bestow something on one of his or her children, even if there may be some distance between them and even some matter that needs reconciliation still the parent may provide something but to have something of Christ as precious as it is is intrinsically different from contacting Christ himself directly just as a reminder we are considering this matter from the standpoint of experience and in actual experience there is a veil, and we may be, shall we say, on the outside of the veil, in the holy place, experiencing some nourishment and some shining and some degree of acceptance signified by the incense at the incense altar. We may not realize that there's another realm of direct experience that we can enter, providing we will understand and then experience deeply the significance of the veil. If we do not know what this veil is experientially, and if we do not know what it is to be broken, we will never be in the Holy of Holies. I speak in principle when I say it will never happen until the veil is broken. In fact, according to God's choice and predestination, We will all spend eternity in the New Jerusalem as the Holy of Holies, which means we will have the prerequisite experiences. But we're talking about the present and actual situation now. We may have something of the Lord, but we may not have the Lord himself directly in our experience, and the reason is this veil. So we need to focus our attention on this, and if we have grace from the Lord, and if we're seeking the Lord, be willing to experience all that's signified and implied here.
1: Well, I have to tell our listeners that uh, before we answer this question in a final way today, we're going to present them with another question, and that's what's just ahead. So keep track. We're moving forward into the tabernacle.
0: It's hard for anyone to answer. The veil, according to Hebrews ten twenty is the flesh of Christ. There it says clearly that the veil within the tabernacle is the flesh of Christ. And this veil was rent, was cleft from the top to bottom in Matthew 27. When Jesus died, this veil was rent. That means his death rent this veil. And this will was his flesh. But this will was put upon four pillars all around the three sides, north, west, and south. You have the bulls. Do you still remember how many bulls here? Forty-eight bulls are times of believers who are the enlargement of Christ and who are the enlarged Christ. Now, how about the four pillars? the boards are made of acacia overlaid with gold and the pillars too not only so the standing the base of the four pillars is exactly the same as those of the boards underneath the boards are 96 sockets because each board standing Within two sockets. Here, these four pillars, each one has a socket, so four sockets plus to the uh, ninety six. How many you have? One hundred sockets. Based upon all these facts, no doubt these four pillars must be tabs of believers. The four to eight boards are regular believers. But the four pillars are extraordinary, different from the common ones. Do you still remember? Peter, John, James, they were called the pillars of the church in Galatians 2. Those extraordinary disciples of Jesus, like Peter, James and John, they were called the pillars of the church. And in Revelation chapter 3, even the Lord Jesus says, if you overcome, you will be pillars in the temple of my God. Pillars are extraordinary. Today, in God's house, in God's tabernacle, there is a need of some pillars, not just boards. The boards are coming. The boards are 48 in number. The pillars are just one-twelfth. Four pillars. They are particular pillars. We need the pillars. I hope that all the elders are the real, genuine pillars.
1: Well, Ron, as I warned our listeners, we just had another unanswered question thrown at us in this section just concluded regarding the veil being identified in Hebrews as the flesh of Christ. Uh, But we're going to set that one aside for a moment also, and I'd like to look at this other point that we heard, and that is in regard to the pillars upon which the veil was hung. These pillars are mentioned in Scripture many times, always in relationship to the building of God's house, the church. We've talked before about how God is not interested in a special class or clergy within the church. So how did these pillars differ from clergy or a class of gifted ones
2: one may be a clergy person properly ordained according to a particular religious system and not remotely be a pillar you just are a religious professional with some knowledge and some training to carry out designated religious activities that doesn't make you a pillar when i was in a certain seminary this is just the fact No one among the faculty and no one among the student body at that time was a pillar. So, we're not in this realm of being ordained makes you a pillar. Then what about the gifted ones? Well, if we mean gifted ones according to Ephesians 4, not just those like in 1 Corinthians 12 that have received some gift, but the gifted ones who actually become gifts, then they are pillars, But that does not make them a separate class of person. That does not put them on another level in a hierarchical sense. Then what does it mean? It means that those who become pillars, those who are identified with Christ in his incarnation and crucifixion, these ones have had particular experiences of the Lord in which they are worked on by God. And the issue of that experience and that divine work is that they become solid, stable pillars in and for God's building. All the believers are boards, signified by the standing boards of the tabernacle. The pillars are boards that have been worked on in a particular way. So even after one has become a genuine pillar, that one is still nothing more or less than a member of the body of Christ, nothing more or less than a brother in the church of God. Nevertheless, there are experiential differences among the saints, that there are a minority who are willing to put themselves fully into the Lord's hands for his building They are willing by the Lord's grace to open to him and to pay the price necessary for God to work himself into them, and the result is that they become pillars for God's building. But they're not clergy. They're not an elite, but they are believers with particular experiences in and for the building of God.
1: It strikes me, Ron, that in the realm of experience in the body of Christ in the building, this is something we all have to be on guard against at all times. The emergence of the gifted ones becoming a class is always, it seems, a temptation, a pitfall in God's building.
2: This, of course, is a matter used by the enemy to damage God's building. But believe me, Chris, those who have been dealt with fundamentally by God, who know what it is, For the veil of the flesh to be broken and to be worked upon to become a pillar, they don't esteem themselves more highly than they ought, and they simply will not allow others to elevate them. On the contrary, they will just be faithful ministers of Christ in and for the building, the vision of God's building, and the experiences necessary to bring one into God's building have dealt with them in such a fundamental way that there's just a certain kind of lowliness that is present along with a very deep and solid spiritual reality. Regarding this line of fellowship, that's all I can say is, he who has an ear, let him hear.
1: Well, we've left our listeners with a couple of unanswered questions. We want to take care of that in our final segment. Let's go back to Witness Lee.
0: Why this veil? That is a type of Christ. Is put on the pillars. The pillars are the extraordinarily redeemed and dealt with believers. Then who is the veil? Christ. The veil is the very Christ in the flesh. With this Christ, the very Christ in the flesh, there are two things. Incarnation and crucifixion. He himself was cleft was riveted, was crucified. And today, you extraordinarily redeemed and dealt with believers in the habitation of God. That means in the tabernacle. In the dwelling place. What kind of testimony do you bear? How could you A fallen creature and redeemed be such a pillar by being dealt with. You know, what is dealing with the crucifixion of your flesh? The dealing here is the rending of your flesh. As extraordinary believers in the church, that is, in God's dwelling place, you must bear a testimony that the flesh has been cleft, has been riven, has been crucified. So this will is something quite active, And this will is your flesh. When Christ, at the eternal word of God, became incarnated, he became flesh. That means what? He became you. When he was crucified on the cross, you were there. When he was cleft. You were there, cleft. Experientially speaking, many redeemed believers still have their flesh. Not cleft. Not crucified. So their flesh still remains that separates them from God. But the pillars within God's dwelling place bear a testimony that that will was cleft. In other words, all the pillars in the church shouldn't live any longer by their flesh. They must bear a testimony that their flesh has been cleft.
1: Brother Ron, we did get the answer to both of our questions today, but these were not easy questions, nor were the answers particularly easy. So let's spend our remaining couple of minutes to try to clarify a little bit. What does it mean that the veil in the tabernacle that separates us from God's presence really represents our own undealt-with flesh?
2: In experience, the veil refers not only to the flesh of Christ, but to our flesh. If the veil has been dealt with by God, if it has been broken open by God, then it signifies a flesh that has been fundamentally dealt with. Directly, the veil signifies the flesh of Christ, which was broken on the cross, so that the veil in the temple then was torn from top to bottom. So, on the first level of significance, the veil refers to Christ's flesh. Why then do we say that the veil also refers to our undealt with flesh? Well, for two main reasons. The first is that when the Word became flesh, when God became man, God identified Himself with us. And when He took upon the flesh, He took upon our nature in the old creation, of course, without sin. Then, second, This veil, which signifies Christ's flesh, was placed on the pillars, much like clothing is placed upon one's body, signifying close, intimate identification. So, to say that the veil of our flesh needs to be broken indicates that we need to be identified with Christ in his crucifixion in such a way that his experience of having his flesh broken is applied to us by the Spirit so that we also have this experience, so that this flesh, which has been keeping us from the direct presence of God, has now fundamentally been dealt with so that experientially we have a way directly into God with his glory, presence, and speaking. It's good to clarify to a certain point. But beyond that, if we know, we know. And if we don't know, we can't know until certain things have happened in our experience with the Lord. But we do want to present this matter. And it's presented by ones who know experientially what they're talking about. We want to present it so that the seeking ones in our audience, those who hunger to go on into the Lord and know there is more, that they will recognize a divine diagnosis of the situation. There is a veil, your flesh, which in your experience needs the application of the cross in a decisive way. That once it happens, you know it happens and you are able thereafter to enjoy the Lord directly and in a way that you've never known before. This is really the crucial point of the message in this program.
1: I really appreciate the way that you brought that into, I think, a very crystallized fashion. Thank you for your fellowship, Brother Ron. You're welcome. This has been uh, Life Study Message Number 99 in the Life Study of Exodus, and the printed message is included in Volume Number 5, and we would like to recommend that to you. For Ron Kangas Today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening.
2: Dear Lord, we give
0: ourselves to thee. us
1: into thy wise hands. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio. Online or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org. Or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.